of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham, Chapter 86, Segment 1. In the spring, Philip, having finished his dressing in the outpatient's department, became an inpatient's clerk. This appointment lasted six months. The clerk spent every morning in the wards, first in the men's, then in the women's, with the house physician. He wrote up cases, made tests, and passed the time of day with the nurses. On two afternoons a week, the physician in charge went round with a little knot of students, examined the cases, and dispensed information. The work had not the excitement, the constant change, the intimate contact with reality, of the work in the outpatient's department. But Philip picked up a good deal of knowledge. He got on very well with the patients, and he was a little flattered at the pleasure they showed in his attendance on them. He was not conscious of any deep sympathy in their sufferings, but he liked them, and because he put on no airs, he was more popular with them than others of the clerks. He was pleasant, encouraging, and friendly. Like everyone connected with hospitals, he found that male patients were more easy to get on with than female. The women were often querulous and ill-tempered. They complained bitterly of the hard-worked nurses who did not show them the attention they thought their right, and they were troublesome, ungrateful, and rude. Presently, Philip was fortunate enough to make a friend. One morning, the house physician gave him a new case, a man and seating himself on the bedside, Philip proceeded to write down particulars on the letter. He noticed on looking at this that the patient was described as a journalist. His name was Thorpe Athelney, an unusual one for a hospital patient, and his age was 48. He was suffering from a sharp attack of jaundice, and had been taken into a ward on account of obscure symptoms which it seemed necessary to watch. He answered the various question which it was Philip's duty to ask him in a pleasant, educated voice. Since he was lying in bed, it was difficult to tell if he was short or tall, but his small head and small hand suggested that he was a man of less than average height. Philip had the habit of looking at people's hands, and Althenny's astonished him. They were very small, with long, tapering fingers and beautiful, rosy fingernails. They were very smooth, and, except for the jaundice, would have been of surprising whiteness. The patient kept them outside the bedclothes, one of them slightly spread out, the second and third fingers together, and, while he spoke to Philip, seemed to contemplate them with satisfaction. With a twinkle in his eyes, Philip glanced at the man's face. Notwithstanding the yellowness, it was distinguished. He had blue eyes, a nose of an imposing boldness, hooked, aggressive but not clumsy, and a small beard, pointed and gray. He was rather bald, but his hair had evidently been quite fine, curling prettily, and he still wore it long. "'I see you're a journalist,' said Philip. "'What papers do you write for?' I write for all the papers. You cannot open a paper without seeing some of my writing. There was one by the side of the bed, and reaching for it, he pointed out an advertisement. In large letters was the name of a firm well known to Philip, Lynn and Sedley, Regent Street, London. And below, in type smaller but still of some magnitude, was the dogmatic statement, Procrastination is the thief of time. Then a question, startling because of its reasonableness. Why not order today? There was a repetition in large letters, like the hammering of conscience on a murderer's heart. Why not? Then, boldly, 
thousands of pairs of gloves from the leading markets of the world at astounding prices, thousands of pairs of stockings from the most reliable manufacturers of the universe at sensational reductions. Finally, the question recurred, but flung now like a challenging gauntlet in the lists. Why not order today? I'm the press representative of Lennon Sedley. He gave a little wave of his beautiful hand. To what base uses? Philip went on asking the regular questions, some a mere matter of routine, others artfully devised, to lead the patient to discover things which he might be expected to desire, to conceal. Have you ever lived abroad? asked Philip. I was in Spain for eleven years. What were you doing there? I was the secretary of the English Water Company at Toledo. Philip remembered that Clutton had spent some months in Toledo, and the journalist's answer made him look at him with more interest, but he felt it would be improper to show this. It was necessary to preserve the distance between the hospital patient and the staff. When he had finished his examination, he went on to other beds. Thorpe Althenny's illness was not grave, and though remaining very yellow, he soon felt much better. He stayed in bed only because the physician thought he should be kept under observation till certain reactions became normal. One day, on entering the ward, Philip noticed that Althenny, pencil in hand, was reading a book. He put it down when Philip came to his bed. "'May I see what you're reading?' asked Philip, who could never pass a book without looking at it. Philip took it up and saw that it was a volume of Spanish verse, the poems of San Juan de la Cruz, and as he opened it a sheet of paper fell out. Philip picked it up and noticed that verse was written on it. "'You're not going to tell me you've been occupying your leisure in writing poetry. That's a most improper proceeding in a hospital patient.' "'I was trying to do some translations. Do you know Spanish?' "'No.' Well, you know all about San Juan de la Cruz, don't you? I don't, indeed. He was one of the Spanish mystics. He's one of the best poets they've ever had. I thought it would be worthwhile translating him into English. May I look at your translation? It's very rough, said Athelny, but he gave it to Philip with an alacrity which suggested he was eager for him to read it. It was written in pencil, in a fine but very peculiar handwriting, which was hard to read. It was just like black letter. Doesn't it take you an awful time to write like that? It's wonderful. I don't know why handwriting shouldn't be beautiful. Philip read the first verse. In an obscure night, with anxious love inflamed, O oh, happy lot, forth unobserved I went, my house being now at rest. Philip looked curiously at Thorpe Athelny. He did not know whether he felt a little shy with him or was attracted by him. He was conscious that his manner had been slightly patronizing, and he flushed as it struck him that Athelny might have thought him ridiculous. What an unusual name you've got, he remarked, for something to say. It's a very old Yorkshire name. Once it took the head of my family a day's hard riding to make the circuit of his estates. But the mighty have fallen, fast women and slow horses. He was short-sighted, and when he spoke, looked at you with a peculiar intensity. He took up his volume of poetry. You should read Spanish, he said. It is a noble tongue. It has not the mellifluousness of Italian. Italian is the language of tenors and organ grinders, but it has grandeur. It does not ripple like a brook in a garden, but it surges tumultuous like a mighty river in a flood. 
His quince amused Philip, but he was sensitive to rhetoric, and he listened with pleasure, while Athene, with picturesque expressions and the fire of a real enthusiasm, described to him the rich delight of reading Don Quixote in the original and the music romantic, limpid, passionate of the enchanting Calderon. I must get on with my work, said Philip presently. Oh, forgive me, I forgot. I will tell my wife to bring me a photograph of Toledo, and I will show it to you. Come and talk to me when you have the chance. You don't know what a pleasure it gives to me. End of segment one. Chapter 86, Segment 2 During the next few days, in moments snatched whenever there was an opportunity, Philip's acquaintance with the journalist increased. Thorpe Athelney was a good talker. He did not say brilliant things, but he talked inspiringly, with an eager vividness which fired the imagination. Philip, living so much in a world of make-believe, found his fancy teeming with new pictures. Athelney had very good manners. He knew much more than Philip, both of the world and of books. He was a much older man, and the readiness of his conversation gave him a certain superiority. But he was in the hospital, a recipient of charity, subject to strict rules, and he held himself between the two positions with ease and humor. Once Philip asked him why he had come to the hospital. Oh, my principle is to profit by all the benefits that society provides. I take advantage of the age I live in. When I'm ill, I get myself patched up in a hospital, and I have no false shame, and I send my children to be educated at the board school. Do you really? said Philip. And a capital education they get, too. Much better than what I got at Winchester. How do you think I could educate them all? I've got nine. You must come and see them all when I get home again, will you? I'd like to very much, said Philip. End of segment two. <laughs>